You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, everyone. If you're newer to ECC, my name is Gary Dilley, and I work with spiritual care and with missions. And with that, as I begin, Pastor Denny a few months ago said, I'd like you to speak, if you would, on gratitude around the Thanksgiving time period. And with that, I just want to express a beginning aspect of gratitude because of the area I work in, which is dealing with outreach to a community and to a world. I just let you know that if you didn't see the e-note, he returned 1,038 uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes to us this week that are heading on their way. So I want to say thanks, and we are appreciative of what God does in the midst of that. Well, about 10 years ago, and I wish I could show the YouTube clips because they are precious. Um, They are AT&T commercials where you had a guy who was sitting in the midst of a bunch of kids, sometimes different kids in the different commercials, like in a classroom environment. And he asked these kids this very, probably one of the most important philosophical questions of our time. And it is, who thinks more is better than less? And so with that, the tagline always came back, it's not complicated. Whether or not it's my sixth grade granddaughter or whether it's most people that you end up dealing with or walking with, the answer would be what? More is better. A few weeks ago, we were with our granddaughter up in Adrian, Michigan, and we were at a pet store, and our granddaughter was dreaming about every necessary thing that could be bought for her cat. (laughs) And so with that, she keeps bringing stuff up to us and said, can we get this now? And we had to use this special word, and it is, Cassie, you have enough. And in her mind, there is never enough cat paraphernalia that you could have. So with that, it made us realize, though, that that isn't just for Cassie. Because within my life and probably within your life, too, we could have that aspect of we have been shaped as well that to expect more is better. And for Cassie, it might even be partly her grandpa and grandma who have caused some of that along the way. So I would have you suggest to you that today, enough can be hard for many of us to accept because I would say we have been shaped as well. Within the cultural aspect of what comes at us within the nature of our soul, it is something that we have really more of an expectation that more is not only better, but I'd say more is also needed. If we're going to experience the life we desire, if we're going to experience the life we need, if we're going to actually experience a good life on this planet Earth. And I'd say that we too may struggle with the word and the concept of the different parts of our life in the aspect of enough. If you're a parent this particular season, you probably are asking yourself the question, or even grandparent, what are enough presents to get for the Christmas season so that you don't end up feeling like you are a slacker parent or a slacker grandparent? Or what really are enough shoes? That's another philosophical question. What really are enough shoes for the things and the different occasions of life? Or what 
what are enough activities for the kids before you say, that's enough? Or what's enough car for your family? Or what's enough house for Rhonda and for Gary? And if you and I don't do intentional reflection in those times, I'm gonna speak for myself and maybe for you too, it is easy to begin to drift into an expectation that the words more, bigger, nicer, all begin to become intertwined with the concept of experiencing the kind of life that I should expect, the kind of life that I deserve on this earth, and if I'm not experiencing it, I have every right to feel this serious discontent, and why do people like you have all the breaks? And so if I find myself there, that leads me then to easily begin to chase and I can begin to chase after things and pursuits and experiences because I'm really thinking that I need to in the time I have to be able to obtain the good life. So, on this weekend, before Thanksgiving, I would like to introduce to you an alternative perspective. In fact, it's still a good life, and it's even a better life. And so with that, it leads me to this riddle, how can I have the good life and still be missing the good life? Let me see if I can explain today my thought. Let's go ahead to the notes, and if you go there, what you're going to see is Paul is writing in 1 Timothy, and this is our passage today, 1 Timothy 6. If you want to go there, you're going to see the passage on your notes as well as on the screen as well. And Paul is writing Timothy, who has at this time been left behind to oversee the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus is a major city in the empire and as I think most of you probably know, Paul has spent time there, probably up to three years, and he has established and planted this church. He has put leadership into place, and not only put leadership into place, he has told them, you're going to have to protect this flock. He goes on, ends up in Rome. He is in prison in Rome where he's writing some letters to churches. He writes to the Ephesians. That's the general letter to the Ephesians. But in a time after that, when he hears some of the things that are beginning to happen in Ephesus, he sends off this quick letter to his disciple, Timothy, so that Timothy can know his thoughts about how to deal with some things. Which leads to this second note then that Paul instructs then on many topics, but as he comes to the end of his letter, it's interesting that he gives distinct instructions on how to find a life that's worth living. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit because of what's happening about the good life. And just like today, there is this contrast to the cultural definition, and it's really even the cultural definition of the day. It's not just us. There's nothing new under the sun and the biblical definition of what exactly is the good life, whether it is in Ephesus or whether it is in Fort Wayne. And what you're going to see today, which is really interesting to me, is, is that he addresses two groups of people. He addresses, and we'll see in just a moment, a group of people who really believe very strongly that in the midst of your Christianity, a main value that should be there is chasing after as much affluence as you can, and that's part of what is the experience you should have. And then he goes then to another group later on where he's speaking to those who already have, quote, resources. 
And he says, let me talk to you also about where your heart is and where things are and how to make sure you can have a good life as well. So he circles back, but first before we go there, I want you to look first with me at counsel for Christians who want to be rich. I didn't, and I'm not going to read verse 5, but the end of verse 5 talks about tying godliness and gain in terms of finances. And I had a conversation with Mark in Utah this week. Mark's our, Mark and Kim serving out there in Utah um, with the Mormon area. And he talked about another group that has just come in. They are a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel group. Bought a big ranch, still trying to figure out what they're going to do came into the cafe where Mark and Kim are working, found out what Mark and Kim did, gave up home and life here, came out there, and he said, you know, that is so neat. I'm telling you, I have a word from the Lord that God is going to triple the amount of money that you've given up and put it in your bank account by the end of December. And it's like, hold it here. (laughs) So these things are appropriate. But godliness with contentment It's great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I need to do a preemptive strike. Paul's point has nothing to do with possessing wealth. That's not the issue. The problem, he says, is when you start giving your heart away. And when you find yourself in the position where now you're falling in love with wealth and it replaces God as the focal point of your life, And you say, well, how would you even know that? And it's a pretty straightforward. To what do you give your time and your energy and your attention? So with that, it helps you go ahead and begin to see where is my heart going? And is it toward God or toward what Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, 24? Gary, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, you can't serve both God and money. So just to confirm my point, he's again talking about what's happening with the possibility that a heart is being given away to something beyond. So he's saying to those who are Christians in the place of Ephesus, he's saying, now, Timothy, I need you to warn people, those who want to get rich, For the love of money is not the root. It's not a definitive article. It's indefinite. It's a root of a lot of things that could be negative. And some people eager for money have some consequences that come, that becomes a problem. And so Paul is describing all sorts of dangers. I I don't know how to say this as, as well as I want to. Paul's worked up. I think he's worked up because he is so concerned about what he's seeing happening in the Ephesian church. And at this point, in the midst of the marketplace and the things of what is being experienced, 
He is worked up because he's saying there are some real dangers that are happening. And I'm telling you, Timothy, that this is happening when it comes to if, again, the heart is starting to move toward greed and covetousness. I underline some of the things that just this interesting aspect of this repetition of to fall into a temptation and a trap, that it can become foolish and harmful desires, that it can become ruin and destruction, that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I find it interesting that Paul sees a corollary, which is concerning to me as a pastor and as a person who loves Jesus and loves people, between that if a heart starts going a certain direction as to heading toward really affections elsewhere, that that has some corollary to at times departure from the faith. Because again, you can't serve both. So he sees this as such a, a serious danger that he makes really what I see as an emotional appeal in verse 11. We didn't read this, but I'll just add it. And he says, but you, man of God, Timothy, and those you're working with here as is giving to the Ephesian church, flee from what this is and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I've given you this because I want you to see why Paul feels so strongly before I go back now to go ahead and have you see what he wants to have happen for these individuals so that you can see why he's so concerned. He is now going ahead and giving us understanding as to how a person like Gary or any of us that if I start to give my heart and start moving down a certain direction, it's like reframe, reframe, and make sure that, Gary, you're working with where your desires are going. And he does then this two-part formula for someone to experience great gain. And I like that word, great gain, good life, good situation as to if instead of great loss. And the possibility for you to experience this comes from these things. But before I go there, I just want to speak to the fact that Evidently, a subset of the Ephesian church is pursuing the Ephesian dream. So he's coming back and saying, Ephesian church. Remember, this is going to this local church. This is some nebulous thing. This is a local church. He's saying, I need to have you know that what you're really looking for comes from an authentic, consistent walk with God and to going ahead and pursuing contentment. And the possibility, he is saying, for you to experience an abundant life, the kind of life that you probably really are looking for, is not going to come from externals. Externals are fine, but when it comes to things, experiences, pursuits, and all those kind of things, that the end outcome of that is not going to matter as much as, what's going on in your heart, Gary? because that's really where it's going to be the okayness of where your life is going to be. So with that, the first half of the formula is godliness. The word there is eusebea, and I went ahead and I've translated it as what I would call a heart that is inclined toward God. When you were born into this world, Jesus has really important things 
and intentions for you. John 10.10 said, I came, Jesus says, I came so you could have life. And you could have it abundantly, to the full, more than you ever could have imagined. If you would go back, what I think is fascinating is if you translate the Greek verb, or the word there, parason, for abundant, it means excessive, super abundant. I want that. Is that what great gain is, Paul? Excessive, super abundant? How do I find that? Well, I think we would look at the fact of what would be the contrast. The contrast goes back to a person who was proclaimed as one of the wisest men on the face of the earth in the Old Testament. His name was Solomon. He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. In that book called Ecclesiastes, it's interesting, in chapter two, verse one, he decided he would test pleasure to see whether or not that would bring good, is what the word is in chapter two, verse one. And But it's not just pleasure. He began down this whole road, and some of you will know this story because chapter 2 says not only was it pleasure, it was things and houses and vineyards and women and all kinds of stuff. He's very honest as to what he pursued. And the acknowledgement is, is if you were looking in from outside, people would say, man, I wish I could have had his life. But then he gives really his testimonial. And his testimonial was, I did all of this and it brought no satisfaction. And so with that, as we looked at what he had to say, here is someone who pursued as the wisest man who has ever lived, supposedly, or at least he had everything that he pursued, but he didn't have anything that really mattered. So I go back to my statement again, and it is this. Dramatic pause. For me or for you, if things are not good on your inside, all the externals in the world will not fix that. Right? None of that will be changed by externals. A life that is good has a satisfied heart. It is seeking a peaceful heart. And it's only God who brings that kind of heart work. I can't manufacture that. You can't manufacture that. It's a heart that is inclined towards God that brings in the midst of that intimacy with him. Intimacy with having the creator and the sustainer of your life in that way. Having someone who is giving you direction who knows you better than anybody knows you. Somebody who is working within you that is ministering and giving the fruit of the Spirit through that Holy Spirit so that the outcomes that are coming into you are, hey, here's some joy. Here's some peace. Here's some patience. The kind of things that bring goodness to your life. And that's why the starting point for finding great gain is godliness, all starts there. But he goes on to say, the second half of the formula though, Gary, is you're really gonna need to learn some contentment. Contentment, I would suggest, is the ability to have internal peace in our current situation. It's the ability to appreciate, enjoy, and find satisfaction in life regardless of whether you have a little or a lot of earthly items. 
Now, back again to what I wanna make sure you hear. It doesn't mean that you may not either need or want to improve your circumstances. I'm not saying that. Um, there are plenty of people who are either first, they may be unemployed, they may be underemployed, they might be in a place where they're just trying to make ends meet as best they can for those situations. I pray for God's provision because that is needed. I had a young adult I was talking to this week who said, my idea of the good life is just having money to pay the rent. And I said, I hear you, and I understand what you're dealing with. But I'm wanting to go ahead and speak to the fact of there are times when we have sufficient resources, but where we've gotten to the point where we say, you know, my life, it could be good if. My life could be good when. I could actually maybe have some happiness if I got to this situation or if I was able finally to acquire this, or if I could give my kids this opportunity, then maybe, but until that happens, I'm gonna to have to live a discontented, substandard life. And that is not healthy. And that's why this lesson is so important that Paul speaks about it in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, where he said, you know, with God's help, I learned to find some contentment whether I had a little at that time or I had a lot at that time, but in that midst, it becomes so important to deal with. So I wanna give you a couple biblical principles that follow, but I wanna give you first just an observation. There's times where God's gonna try to break through in you and to you. Probably one of the most important intervention points of my life was in my 20s when I decided, and I'm not even remembering why because that's when I was young. I've lost that memory now at this point. But I was in my 20s and I decided I'm gonna take a group from my church and we're gonna do a mission trip. And we didn't go to Montego Bay, we didn't go to Ochos Rios, we went to Kingston. <laughs> Kingston is not as fun. And Kingston, we went into the middle of the city and we began to work within the context of people that we partnered with. And God schooled this young man because he started saying to me things like, you know, you got the chance to be born and raised in middle America. Why did you get that opportunity to be in this situation rather than so many other contexts within this world? And as God walked me through that, what became the start of a journey was I was able to forget about me for a time. And that was really healthy for me. And as God may bring different kinds of intervention points, whether in the community, the area, whatever, to say, I just want you to forget about you for a time. That will be good. But there's two biblical principles here. The first one is learn to live life with an eye on eternity, where we see we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, which I find ironic today for us because for many times what's easy for us to do is to spend an entire life acquiring items that we will not take with you and our kids don't want. So it's just this really ironic kind of thing that we're dealing with within that kind of way. And so as we think about that at this point, I came into Angola, Indiana empty-handed. I'll leave somewhere in the same kind of capacity, remembering that the only thing I can take with me is people like you. 
So with that, then it takes me to a second thing that in your life, reevaluate what really are essentials versus what are just wants. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I think to myself, Paul, I would have included a roof over my head if I was you, because that to me, but Paul didn't. He's very stark within that. But the point that we're looking at here is trying to make sure that we're discerning as to what, what really, what's really needed versus what is wanted so that I can keep that straight so I don't move into feeling as deprived as quickly and to be able to go ahead and say, for all those extras that Gary and Rhonda Dilly have, that we call them what they are, they're grace gifts, and to be thankful for the facts of what God has given in the midst of that. So he talks to this group then he writes a little bit more on some other topics. And then it's almost like he circles back and says, but I, I have this other group I probably should be writing to as well. And that is those individuals who are in the church who they do have resources. They're not just wanting resources, they have resources. And so here is 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's truly life. I think the question that's gotta be asked is, so who are the rich? The word for rich in this passage is just plusiois. And it essentially speaks to having an abundance of resources. And it's talking about people in Ephesian church who have discretionary funds. They, they have funds beyond necessities. And remembering here that Ephesian or the city of Ephesus was this major center for trade and commerce and no doubt there are members of the church who really had done well when it comes to trade and the work there and that in the midst of that, they had sufficient, probably even abundant resources. And with that, there are certainly people here who had more than their daily bread. Now, I need you to understand at this point, I count Gary and Rhonda Dilly in this category. And I'll tell you why. Um, I'm a missions kind of guy, and, and with that, I look at things that are of interest to me, and there's been times in the last year where I've looked at net worth issues, and how my net worth um, speaks to where do I rank in the world. You know where I rank? Top 11%. I'm, I am above and beyond 89% of this world. Which says to me, Gary, I think you need to put yourself then, because no special circumstances, just typically a one income thing most of our life, sometimes one and a quarter, one and a half at points, but just tried to figure out how do we do steward well, but have still ended up in this place where God has given us opportunity of resources, and I, I need to take those instructions seriously. So the question becomes not only to the Ephesians, um, it becomes also to Gary, and, and maybe even to you too. What do we need to do? If we find ourselves with resources, what does it mean 
what do we need to do to have the good life? So the first thing is, wow, to fight off arrogance, we're gonna have to cultivate some humility. And what's important for you to see here, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. This is a descriptive phrase that is very important in this present world. Those of you who have some resources right now in this present world, this is how I need you to respond. Second thing that he is wanting people to see is Paul's audience needed to recognize wealth is temporary. It's in fact tied to this present age, as we said, and will last only until the appearance of Jesus, which is in verse 14, um, or until I die, um, within that. And with that, Paul's audience needed to fight arrogance, and to see that Paul's counsel here is emphatic. The word is paraangale. It, it is not gently suggest to say, you know, you should consider this. He says, hey, this is so important. Command those who are in this place. Deal with it. And what that meant to me as I thought about that along this way is to think about at times along of what we deal with is, I don't think any of us aspire to be arrogant. There's, there's nobody here that aspires that, right? That's an ugly word. So with that, we just think about here that even though we don't really aspire that way, when things begin to go well, things can begin to subtly creep into our heart. We see that clear back in Moses' day. This is nothing new. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, which is a great chapter, and I won't read all of what I've placed in the um, opportunity for you to see the verses that I would use, 10 to 18, but with that, Moses instructs the Israelites that the day is going to come when you're going to do pretty well. You're going to be in the promised land. Life is going to be pretty good. And you know, here's what you're going to find yourself in the danger of. So I just put a couple verses in as just a part of this. You can get to the point, Israelites, that you can say to yourself, you know, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And Moses says, you better stop. And remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It can subtly happen in my heart, maybe yours, where you could come to the point to believe that we deserve certain things because of our hard work or because of our intrinsic value. You can see my intrinsic value, can't you? Or because if others would be just kind of do the things I do, then they would be like us too and they could have what we have and it becomes more about us than it does about God. So humility comes only when we take our thoughts captive and we get our heads straight and we do some straight talk. You ever do straight talk with yourself? I have to do straight talk at times with Gary. Gary? What you need to remember in those times is, I need to make sure that you consider, where have you been born, Gary? Oh, middle America. Consider, Gary, the opportunities and competencies I've given you, and I have to come to the point of saying, Lord, for all that you've done, I give thanks when it comes to those grace gifts. 
A second thing I need to make sure is to fight off materialism. We've got to cultivate godliness to make sure that my hope in the world is not in the resources I have, which are utilized, but my hope is in God. To fight off dissatisfaction, I need to cultivate enjoyment, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love singing the goodness of our God this morning. Did you? Isn't that good to sing that and to remember and affirm that together this morning as well? I think about the fact that next month, probably some of us who are parents or grandparents are going to be sitting in a room where there is a whole bunch of wrapping paper and there's a whole bunch of boxes and all kinds of stuff. And there's going to be, at times, a still small voice that's going to come. And it's not the Holy Spirit. No, it's, it's really a voice that says, is that all there is? And what I'm just wanting to make sure as we speak today and look at this question is, let's not be those kind of adults navigating life where we find ourselves obsessed to the point with the things that we're lacking or the experiences that we think we're lacking and probably as much as anything, the life situation. You know, if I could just have your life situation, then things that, oh, so with that, what I need to do is I need to appreciate the grace gifts that I can have from God. And again, there's nothing wrong with bettering your circumstances. My fear for you is when you're bettering your circumstances, you're not even enjoying what you have right now. And in that also, just that aspect in the same way that in that I'd be concerned that in addition to your enjoyment, that you're not taking the final step. And that is this. To fight off selfishness, cultivate generosity. I want you to note that the same verb, command, is used again. And I had to ask myself this week, and I think about these things as, do I trust God enough to supply that I don't need to hoard? to hoard either for my enjoyment or my undue fear that I won't have enough for me so I need to protect my resources at all costs. We only share what we have. We don't share what we don't have. But it gives us the chance to be involved like you did with Operation Christmas Child in a community, in a world to join God in his work. And the outcome of that is, of taking those steps, Ionio Zoe's eternal life, and as the NIV says, life that is really life. So I've asked this question as well. Think about these particular things as to, and in fact, before I even ask again is, is there anything wrong with earthly treasures? And the answer again is, for the fourth time, no, not, not whatsoever. That's not the point. The passage is just communicating. So Gary, but what is the good life? The biblical one, not the cultural one. And I've thought about that a lot lately. And I've thought about if I did an audit of my life and what I put my efforts into, relationally, financially, affections, time. And I thought about how, Gary, what you treasure is what captures your heart. And what captures your heart is what you value. 
And what you value is what you'll put your efforts into. So, what are those treasures? Because it's worth asking before we close. What's those treasures that are on the other side? I would suggest to you that, first of all, it's things that are honoring to God because those are the things that don't burn up in the fire according to 1 Corinthians 3. But the treasure being stored up for a firm foundation in the coming age certainly revolves around people. People who ended up impacted, who were changed, who were affected. People you gave some time to. People who you gave a friendship to when they needed a friendship. People who you gave a hand to or maybe resources to when they needed. People who came alongside and you were able to go ahead and be involved with them who ended up in heaven as a result of your involvement with them, your time, your prayers, and your words. And I believe that that is the treasure. I don't believe people will talk about flat screen TVs in heaven a whole lot. I just don't think that's gonna happen. I think that there are other bigger fish to fry. And some of that is going to be even things as simple as, you know when I needed that? Thanks. You, I know you didn't know it. I'm telling you now. You came alongside when I needed you most. So with that, as we close, let's have the worship team come. Okay, we've placed it out, scripture, but Gary, there's a series of things. Do I believe this, first of all, and do I believe it enough to act on it? Am I willing to act on this truth that there is a good life, the life we are intended to live, that is ultimately not in consuming but is in investing, that gives this life opportunity to be in concert with God, to enjoy the things that he has given us so much, but to recognize as well as we are doing so that we are investing in the only thing that God really believes is worthwhile for the long term, which is people, because his son died for them. What do I do with that? A second practical thing I would tell you is this. It is we are with the Inasmuch group that is downtown and Inasmuch is a group that works with making a difference in people's lives, particularly Allen County. They have gotten to the point they are the second call after the township trustee. If you can't get help from the township trustee, Right now, they're saying, we need coats. And in the website, it would be the front page of the website at the bottom, and on your app, it'll tell you about things that you could provide in the next couple of weeks to help that. And finally, my mom, <laughs> who did something. She's dead now, but boy, she set something up in our hearts. She said at one point, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go ahead and for these grandkids, grandkids, I'm either gonna give you a gift or some money, but then I'm gonna give you another portion that's gonna be money. And you make that decision as to where do you wanna gift that to. So every year, these kids came back at Christmas time and said, Grandma, here's where we helped. Here's what we did within that kind of capacity. And I thought, that might be kind of a neat personal Christmas initiative for any of us this year as to whether with a grandkid, a kid, a spouse, this is your gift, but I'm also giving some money to you. 
you can give as your heart desires to make a difference in the lives of people in this community this year out of gratitude to a God who has given to us beyond anything we could ask.